Good morning, everyone. Hasn't it been so lovely to dedicate these new babies? And um, it's a real sign of new life and health and strength, and I get really excited when I see these little ones. So just to extend again a welcome to all the family and friends and guests, and um, for those students who might be making their home in Swansea, welcome to you as well. We hope you find a good spiritual home, uh, maybe here or maybe somewhere else. Um, but they, these two beautiful girls today, Joyelle and Mally. Now, Joyelle was born on the 10th of March, so she's six and a half months old. Hasn't that gone really quickly? And then, of course, little Mally was born on the 24th of August, and she's only a month old. And it's really special to see these little ones. And for those of you parents who've had children, you know that that little tiny stage doesn't last for long, does it? You've got to really cherish it, um, because they soon grow up, which obviously is to cherish as well, but in a different way. Now, these girls have beautiful names, and the Bible, uh, naming um, a child or a person had great significance in Bible times. Now, often it showed where the child belonged or what family they belonged to, who was their parent. Sometimes it talked about something about their character or their destiny, and that's why sometimes God changed somebody's name, because their character had changed and their destiny had changed as well. And so we're going to look a little bit at what the baby's names mean, um, and we're going to start with Joyelle. So Joyelle means rejoicing. And I would say, you know, when you see little Joyelle, doesn't it fill your heart with rejoicing? Now, I worked really hard to get a smile from her for weeks. And I just made sure I was like, in her face, but not too much in her face, just you know, gain a little confidence. And the day she finally smiled at me, my heart melted. It was lovely. And so when you're around her, you sense this sense of rejoicing and joy. And her other name, so Joy is Latin for happiness, and L obviously is French for she. And her other names that we heard yesterday, her baby naming, Araya, which means lioness of God. I love that. And Yajina, Ya is um, Ghanaian for Thursday born, and uh, Gina means queen. Of course it does. So <laughs> that's amazing. And then uh, little Mali. Now, Mali is a Welsh derivative, one of many, um, that means Mary. And Mary means beloved. And that little baby, I held her for the first time yesterday. She is already beloved of her friends and her family. But mostly, it's God who loves every person, like Adam said earlier, that every person has value in God's sight. And her second name is Gwen. And Gwen means white or holy or purity. So this morning, when we look at these two names together, and we look at the meanings um, of rejoicing, beloved, lioness, queen, pure and holy, it reminds me of the story in the Bible of the meeting of two pregnant ladies and what happened and their joy together. And of course, that is Mary and Elizabeth. So we're going to look a little bit at their story this morning. Now, Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John the Baptist when the angel Gabriel came to Mary. And do you remember at that time, Mary was just a young peasant girl in the small town of Nazareth, maybe a population of 480 people. It's very small. And Mary was brought this dynamic and exciting news to become pregnant with the Savior of the world and that she would be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and as a virgin, she would give birth to a little baby who would save the world. And this was so brave of Mary to accept this gift. To be unmarried in that culture risked 
being an outcast, a punishment, maybe even death. And for Mary to take it on, this was a gutsy, brave um, embracing of God's purposes for her life. And in Luke 1, we see what Gabriel says. He tells Mary, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her six months, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now it's interesting that Gabriel shares this miracle of her relative Elizabeth, who was barren and in her old age becoming pregnant. And as Gabriel shares this with Mary, who is a virgin, believing that God is going to overshadow her and bring about this miraculous conception, it gives Mary faith and encouragement for her own exciting adventure with God. And this news from Gabriel, it's like he just drops it in, this amazing proclamation, and then he just drops in, by the way, go and see Elizabeth, that it prompts Mary to get on her way and make the journey to visit Elizabeth. And this was a great place to go. There's a sense of solidarity between two women. And I love to see, as the church has grown, many of our pregnant women uh, having friendships together at the same time, all bumps in a row, all babies in a row. And these two women now, Mary and Elizabeth, there's a sense of solidarity of two women who would understand one another's unique and awesome situation. Who else was in their boat? And there was a sense of companionship, shared destiny, and they could rejoice together. And also, I would think it's an assurance to Mary that she's heard this incredible news that is also putting her in a dangerous situation, the virgin birth. Who will understand? And Elizabeth says to her when they meet, for no word from God will ever fail. I mean, that is an encouragement to Mary. So let's look at their meeting together. In Luke 1, 39 to 45, it says this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town. I love that. Can you see she hurried? She'd had this news and now she's hurrying to see Elizabeth. She hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Now notice that as well. It doesn't even name the town. This is such a small, insignificant town. But in this small, insignificant town, something incredible is happening. It's just not even named. Hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, can you see, because the Holy Spirit has come upon Elizabeth, she can tell that Mary is carrying the Lord, and she's not even appearing pregnant. It's revealed to her by the Holy Spirit. It's really exciting. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And you see the theme here as well, like God's word will never fail. And God's promises will come true. And maybe you have promises from God for you. Maybe you need to remember, or we need to remember together, that God's word will never fail. And these two women were in that stage right then of trusting for the future, an unknown future they couldn't see. Now you and I, we know the end 
end of the story. But they didn't. They were in it right then. They needed to believe for what God was going to do. And maybe you're in a situation where you've got to exercise that faith and stir it up again to say, God has spoken to me. And I don't know the end of the story yet, but I am going to trust like these gutsy women who just said yes to God. So this meeting is filled with joy and surprise and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when Mary and Elizabeth meet by the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist, the unborn six-month fetus, leaps in the womb. It's an amazing story of the presence of the Holy Spirit in something that was about to change the world. And these two women in an unknown, unnamed town, was central to a world-changing event. Both women experience a miracle, and the tender hand of God is upon their lives as women, with the most important significance for the whole of mankind in history. We know that John the Baptist will prepare the way, and Jesus will come ultimately to bring life to every person and bring them back to God, to make a way for us that we can become God's own children, having a fresh start, a brand new life, our past swept away, wiped clean, and a brand new start with Jesus. And we see these little babies born, and there was brand new little hands <clears throat> and little feet and no wrinkles. You know, it's like a fresh life has begun. But for us, when we come to Jesus, it's like a whole new page turns over that's fresh and clean. When we say, Lord, I, you know, I've gone my own way, but now I realize that you're for me and you love me. I want to come your way and know you in my life. When we respond to Jesus like that, he wipes us clean from every regret and everything we've ever done wrong. And our life starts brand new with his help and strength to face what's ahead. So at this joyful meeting, Mary, when they have this encounter and the baby leaps and Mary probably didn't look pregnant yet, Mary spontaneously bursts into song. And she sings this song that has become famous. And this song is read all over the world. And it's one of the songs, one of the passages of scripture. It's one of the longest of a woman speaking in the Bible, but it's one of the earliest that people used all over the world when Christians met together and reciting it. And it's well known as the Magnificat. And I'm going to read it now. And let's see, there is like the seeds of revolution in this song. So this is Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. That's down to us, too. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." 
And then it says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and returned home. And I love how she stayed there with Elizabeth in those early three months of just guarding that pregnancy and safety, staying with Elizabeth. And I think that kind of, if, if Elizabeth was six months when she arrived, three months when Mary left, I think that's kind of about the time that John the Baptist was ready to be born. Now, Mary's song, when we look at this song, This is a song of a young woman at the bottom of the pile. She is poor, uneducated, from a small rural town, no power, no rights, unmarried and pregnant, facing a bleak, uncertain future, possibly punishment. She is living in a male-dominated society where women had very little respect, with the nation under Roman occupation. And here is this young girl a peasant, poor, unmarried, uneducated, the bottom of the pile. And she sings this most victorious revolutionary song. She sings it with a victorious heart, with vision, with passion, like a lioness roaring. She's kind of saying, look at me. I'm neither rich nor important, just a humble girl. I put my life at risk embracing this holy challenge. Look at me, everyone. If this can happen to me, it can happen to you. That's the heart of the song. It says, are you poor? Are you hungry? Are you disenfranchised? Do you have nothing? Look at us. It is God who's remembered us. And it's this fierce rejoicing. It's a kind of, look what God can do. He's about to turn the world upside down. She's saying, you think the king of the world would be born in a palace. No, he hasn't come to the rich. He's honored the poor. It's just this amazing song. And this song has carried such fire that across um, the nations, it's sometimes been banned from public reading for its like revolutionary stance. And one example of that is in the late 1970s, it was used by the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo in Buenos Aires. And there in Argentina, under the, um, the terrible dictatorship that was going on, children and grandchildren went missing during this dictatorship. And the women took up the only arms they had, which was the Song of Mary, and they wrote it out and they plastered it to pillars and trees in the plazas. That's why they're called uh, of, the, of the plaza. And in the end, the military junta of Argentina, they came and outlawed any display of Mary's song because of its re- revolutionary concept of the fact that God would empower the poor and put down the rich. And in many times in history, it's been banned for its revolutionary message. Now, you remember uh, the German Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He recognized this revolutionary nature of Mary's song, the strength within it. And before he was executed by the Nazis, in his Advent message, he said this in 1933, and this is a quote direct from him. He said, the song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary who we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. 
It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. And this song says the Savior will turn the world upside down. And it sings about how every one of us ordinary people have the chance that God will come to us and turn our life upside down as well. And Jesus did that by bringing forgiveness and freedom to every person. Sometimes our real chains are on the inside. The way that we think, the way that we feel, we become chained up by things that have happened in our past. And Jesus wants to come with his power to totally set us free from those things that hold us back, those patterns we keep repeating. Jesus, with his power, can come and change our life. And so here in a little unnamed town in Judea, behind closed doors, the most extraordinary meeting takes place of two pregnant women. And long before Bethlehem, before choirs of angels, before shepherds, before a visit from the wise and expensive gifts of the wise men, here is a private meeting of two young mums with the unborn baby cousins who will change the world. And in this significant encounter, something is literally about to be birthed on the world that will change all things. A private meeting, full of rejoicing, full of potential, full of the Holy Spirit, prophetic of the future. And it's bound up in two women, one young and one old, who said yes to God. That's the crux of it, really, that these two women said yes. And so parents, grandparents, friends, church family, our challenge together today as we see these little ones dedicated to God is how can we raise young firebrands like Mary? You know, young people full of faith, a faith that translates into action, a faith that says yes, not just a faith on the back burner, but a faith that translates into our everyday life, living out God's call. A fierce, overcoming faith that despite all obstacles, our love for God and his purposes come first. And where does that start? As we dedicate these little ones to that path today, this is the kind of thing, this is where it starts with raising young firebrands for Jesus. We know that our children follow in our footsteps. They learn from our example and have you noticed how even little babies, they will turn to the parent to check something's okay. Something happens in the room or somebody unfamiliar says something to them and they just turn to the parent, is this okay? Should I be worried? Can I laugh? Should I be frightened? And they just check with the parent. And if the parent looks at ease, the child is at ease. You know, if there's a drama in your family, if it's a drama, it'd be a drama for the children. If you take it in your stride, the children will take it in their stride. And how we live, the children take their cue from us. In Proverbs 22, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it. And these early life lessons that we lay in their life now are so important. And these are the important things at the start. Unconditional love. Not love with conditions. If you do this, dad will love you. If you don't do that, mummy won't love you. But unconditional love. I don't like the naughty things you do, but I love you. Unconditional love. Love without conditions. Security. This is a safe place. You are safe with us. Our home is safe. You are safe here. You can, you know, 
absorb all the love and the security to go out and face the world, even if it's like being babysat the first time, or nursery, or school, or off to uni. The bravery to face the world outside, focused attention, not just in a minute, in a minute, later, in a minute. Um, we went somewhere the other day, and we saw um, some parents uh, out for coffee with their children, and the parents just sat on their phone, swiping, the whole time, where the children are just sat there. Are we giving our children focused attention that they know we really care? Physical touch of hugs and cuddles that say, I love you and I care. Warm and encouraging words. All these things. And as their children start on their journey with God, one day they can make their own choice. But let's make everything possible for them as we like dedicate them today. One day they make their own choice, but let's make that path as smooth as we can, that our whole home talks about the love of God, that he may dis they may discover it for themselves. And it's never too early to wrap them around in the love of God. An early children's Bible, from the earliest time they're able to look at one, worship songs, community, Sunday church, helping them to access and join in the service from a very young age. If you make it a priority, the children will too. Growing up with others their age in church. Now, I'd love to see all the babies in church. Now, here's a picture we took earlier. And here's just some of the babies born this year. Isn't that? It's just so cute. But Mally wasn't born when this was taken, so we're just going to add her in now. There we are. Now it's complete. And isn't it wonderful that these little ones can just grow up in a church community together, inspiring one another? And let's always keep that goal. How do we help them? How do we help them pursue it? And as we live out the joy of Jesus in our home, our children can grow up with its reality. Now let's look at a verse from Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 6, it says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now, for us, it's not like following the Ten Commandments. It's about the whole, everything in the Bible about living out our Christian life, okay? These that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Now, it doesn't literally mean get a sharpie and deface your home, but it's just talking about living it out, that church isn't a separate thing that we do for an hour and a bit on a Sunday morning, but it's living out our walk with Jesus every day in the way we treat and respect one another, in the way that we live our life, that our child grows up in that atmosphere. And this is God saying here, take them on the journey with you that they grow up in it. Taking, talking about our daily life. Now, when I was a young girl, um, my, none of my family went to church or were, or were Christians. And when um, I was around seven years of age, some neighbors where we lived started sharing their faith with my parents. And uh, my parents said they quite, you know, these neighbors were a bit like, it got a bit naggy or a bit awkward. But eventually, they discovered faith for themselves. And then not only were the 
neighbors no longer awkward, but they became friends. And in our house, we started to have people in the house singing songs, people get a guitar out, people talk about Jesus. This was like the days before video, so they would do film strips on the wall of things to do with Jesus. Now, I was only seven, and I was packed off to bed, so I would mostly get out of bed, and I hope if my dad is watching this, this isn't too much of a revelation. So I'm sorry, Dad, but I'm too old for you to tell me off now. But um, I was about seven, and I would creep out of bed, and my dad had like done this sort of trendy thing with the stairs where he'd kind of taken away some kind of banister that you could see into the lounge. And on the third step from the top, you couldn't be seen, but you could see into the lounge. And I would sit there, and I would watch this group of people. They had such joy. They were singing about God and Jesus, and I I would... I was drawn to it. I wanted to know what the change was, and I felt the change within my family. And then one day, my parents took me along to see a film called The Cross and the Switchblade. Now, this film is about, like, drug runners and everything and the intervention of God. I remember my mum saying, she's, we sat there, my mum, me, my twin brother, my dad, and uh, we sat there, and she's thinking, oh, no, I brought the twins to the most terrible film. This will just ruin them. But I watched it spellbound. I know, obviously, my parents weren't drug runners or anything like that. It's about the principle of the thing. But as I watched this film, and how Nicky Cruz was brave enough to go into a group of people and share his face and it changed their lives. I could see what had happened to my parents, that Jesus had come into their lives. This was the Jesus everyone was talking about. That's why there was just this joy and happiness and buzz and people in and out the house. And I was like, this is what I've been looking for. And at that time as a young girl, I remember Sometimes we'd drive home late from somewhere, and I'd be sat in the car looking out the window. As we drive past people's homes, as a seven-year-old just turning eight, you know when you drive in the car, and you can see if people got their light on, you can see into their homes. As a young child, I, I would think, well, where do these people connect with me, or their neighbor, or the rest of the world? How does the world fit together? And I would creep out of bed, apologies again, I would creep out of bed and look, down at the street outside, there were teenagers gathered under a lamppost. And, and I would think, well, where would their lives go? And what would it be like if I was born into a different family? And how does the world fit together? And our children have these questions. I was seven. Our children have these questions. A couple of weeks ago on our little WhatsApp Sunday school group, some, some of the teachers were sharing the questions children are asking, the sevens to elevens out there, asking big questions. So it's never too early to start our children. Don't wait till they're older. Start young. For me, I was hungry. I wanted to know. Why am I here? What is the meaning to life? What is this world? How do we all fit together? Who is this Jesus? Oh, I can have Jesus in my heart. At the end of the film, Selwyn Hughes stood up and he, he shared a message. And I was only, I just turned eight. I don't think I understood a lot of it, except the bit when he said, and if you want Jesus in your heart, you can come down to this room over here and in a prayer, you can invite him into your life. And that's what I did. I've lived a journey with Jesus ever since. All the... Um, you know, joys and trials, the difficulties, the, the tragedies, the happiness, everything that goes in life. 
He has walked with me every step of the way. I would never change it. And if you've never given your life to Jesus before in a full way, just do it. Put your hands in God's hands. Say, forgive me for my past and what I've done wrong. Come into my life and start that adventure with him because it's amazing. And especially for our children, don't wait and think, well, when they're 12, maybe they'll understand. They are looking and asking now. So young children are open and searching, let's guide them. So parents want to encourage you on this dedication and all parents here, live it out, pray with your children, pray for them, dance and rock them to worship music, lead them by your example, the atmosphere of your home, how we treat one another, the principles that undergird our decision making. And also for all of us, and just one word to the parents, let me just say, Sometimes as parents, we feel the overriding thing is I'm not doing a very good job. We see all the other mums that we go, I'm not as good as them. When I was a young mum, I'd take the kids into school and somehow everyone knew it was reading day and they're all in fancy dress except mine. When I arrived from Hereford and all the children St. David's there in Welsh costume, I didn't even know it was a thing. My kids are the only ones. So, you know, failure after failure. Or as dads, you might think, you know, I'd, I'd like to give them more time. I don't feel I'm a very good dad. Let's not concentrate on the things where we feel we don't match up to some imaginary mark. You are their only mum. You're their only dad. They love you. You are their parent, not the lady down the road or the guy at the school gate or the person with the perfect lunchbox. It is you that they want. So let's just live out our authentic, real Christianity that we know that we don't get it right every day, but that's what they need to see, that in the bumps and hiccups of life, Jesus is with us every step of the way. So don't let yourselves live under some Instagram pressure of the perfect parent because there isn't one. All your children need is you and a Jesus filled you in the tiredness, in the repetitiveness, in the put it down. I said, put it down. I said, put it down. Please put it down. Put it down. I said, put it down. Even in those moments, just do it with Jesus. <laughs> so parents, live it out. Friends, family, church, we can do this too. We can be the Christian village in which these children grow up that we can help support one another as parents and friends. Let's be there for each other. I know that you are. Let's be the Christian village around these little ones, smiling at them, looking at them, remembering their name, remembering a birthday. I've seen children in our church grow up with such confidence because they've got a whole village around them, loving them and supporting them. Now, Mary was poised, ready for her destiny. She didn't follow God with all her heart once she was given a job to do, she was ready for God to sweep her up into an incredible destiny. And as we lead our children this way, let us be faithful, committed, sacrificial, following the Lord in the details of our lives so we set the pace for them too. And as we dedicate Joyelle and Mally today, it's into the hands of a loving, caring God. That's who he is. He's not distant. He's not far off. He's a loving, caring God. And it's important as we close today for each of us in this room to know that you are loved by God. He rejoices over you. You are loved by God. God loves you and he rejoices over you. In Zephaniah 3, it says this, 
The Lord your God is with you, with you, a mighty one who wins the battle. He will rejoice over you with gladness. With his love, he will give you new life. He will have joy over you with loud singing. I love that, not just singing, loud singing, like he means it. And in the turmoil and shifting sands of life, there is one thing that remains steadfast, and that is the love of God for you. In Lamentations, it says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And in 1 Samuel 2, it records the story of Hannah. And Hannah was a, a, a lady who was desperate for a baby and cried out to God. And he heard her prayer. And then she dedicated her baby to God's service. And his name was Samuel. And he did amazing exploits all his life. And this is Hannah's prayer. And as we look at her prayer, I want you to take this on as a prayer for us. A prayer for you, a prayer for me, it is something that God will put in our hearts. So let's look together as we close. 1 Samuel 2. The Lord has filled my heart with joy. He has made me strong. I can laugh at my enemies. I'm so glad he saved me. The Lord has filled my heart with joy. He has made me strong. I can laugh at my enemies. I'm so glad he saved me. And Jesus' invitation is to each and every one of us, like Mary calling out, who am I? But he came to me. Jesus is here for every single one of us. And in uncertain times, he is faithful. He wants to fill your heart with joy and bring strength into your life. This is for us as well as our children. And as we focus on the children today, that's great for them. But you know, it starts with us in our own hearts so that we are loved. We don't have to come up to some impossible standard because Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. He is not fooled by us trying to put on a brave face or our Sunday face, but Jesus comes to us just where we are to fill us, to forgive us, and to give us strength. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came into the world through Mary, just a young girl who said yes. And in our own hearts, Lord, we say yes to you, yes to your purposes. We ask yes, please, for your forgiveness. And we ask, Lord, that you will come and fill our hearts with joy. Sometimes joy seems far away. I pray that you'll come right now to every person here and online Come and fill our hearts with your joy because we really need it right now. And I thank you, Lord, that you can make us strong. When we feel weak, when times are difficult, when we think, I just can't do this anymore, you come with your strength into our hearts. I pray that you will minister these two together, joy and strength into the heart of every person here. And especially, Lord, we pray for every parent that there will be more joy than grief, that there will be more happiness and sharing life together than the difficult times, that we can laugh at our enemies, we can laugh at the difficulties and say, I am so glad you saved me. 
Thank you, Lord, that you are with us and that you love us. And I pray for your blessing now, every person here. And we thank you, Lord, for these two little babies, Mally and Joyelle. And as we dedicate them to you today, we ask, Lord, your hand of blessing will rest upon them as they grow up in this lovely community of a Christian village. In Jesus' name, amen.